Welcome to the Australian Property Investment Podcast with your host, Aaron Christie-David. Each episode, we ask an expert to share their key insights for aspiring investors to make confident property choices. G'day, everyone. My name is Aaron Christie-David. I'm the founder of Atelier Wealth, a mortgage broking business, and I'm also the host of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. As part of our, uh, I guess, our journey to make investors' lives and their experience more enjoyable through education, it's also about making better property decisions. That's something as a mantra that really resonates with our next guest. And while he needs no introduction, he's going to get it. Um, the name Rich Harvey is synonymous with um, property. And Rich and his team have been, uh, I guess, the recipients of plenty of awards, including the illustrious Telstra Business of the Year Award. Uh, I know you're probably blushing when I mention that, um, <laughs> but it is a reflection of not only longevity in business, but also success in business as well, Rich. I'm really honoured and privileged to have you in the studio with us. Rich, welcome. Thank you so much, Aaron. Pleasure to be here. Mate, excellent. Uh, like I said, you need to mention, but you, you, you did kind of share with us a little bit about your business and someone that's been um, living and breathing property for this long, you've seen a lot. You've seen a lot of kind of people coming and going. You've seen your industry change. When I talk your industry, you know, the buyer's agency industry as well. So there's a fair bit that I want to get through as well. But kind of before we do kick off, um, what I call the three Ps, so personally, professionally, and a property perspective, can you just give us a the Rich Harvey uh, story, mate? Sure, I'd love to. Yeah. Look, thanks for having me on your show. And uh, look, at my background, um, when I finished school, I kind of went to university, wasn't sure what to do. I thought if I go to uni, I'll get a good job and then I'll be able to earn some money. So yeah. I thought, look, I was good at maths and good at economics. So I ended up doing an economics degree, yeah. uh, nailed that in three years, and then started working uh, in government as yeah. an economist for a number of years. Then I thought, look, I should really up my qualifications. I thought about doing an MBA, ended up doing a master's in economics. So yeah. went back to uni full-time, did that, and then back out in the workforce. So basically – Worked as an economist for about 10 years, wasn't quite sure still what your career progression was going to be. So yeah. like a lot of people, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to wear a fancy suit That's and right. go to an office. I thought I was going to be a carpenter when I was younger because <laughs> I love working with wood. Still do. It's a hobby in my oh, own spare it. time. Yeah. Um, it's a good and creative then, outlet, but, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, But then I thought, look, actually, this property thing, I really wanted to get on the property ladder fairly early in life. My wife and I, we got married you know, fairly young at age 23 and wow. within two years of getting married, we bought our first property, you know, we'd yep. saved up and we did a, a small subdivision and that got us onto the property ladder. So, wow. but, um, but property was, sorry, economics was a great, you know, segue into learning how to research and I'll touch on that a bit later. Um, so yeah, for me, um, and I got into buyer's agency about sort of 10 years into my career, probably yeah, a little bit too late to be honest, but, uh, you know, never better late than never Absolutely. and uh, actually been doing it for 20 years now. So uh, I mean, my, go 20 yeah. years, mm -hmm. um, the buyer's agency proposition was probably new then. And you talk about being late, for example. But <laughs> I mean, back then, when I talk back then, I mean that with all due respect, right? Like it was probably a fairly unique proposition in the market. So probably like where mortgage breaking was at the start going, what are you doing? Exactly. What is this about? Well, yeah. it, I remember uh, I started in, you know, buyer's agency 2001. Uh, yeah. I was one of the first, there was a couple, only a handful of us in Sydney. That's right. And um, yeah, one of the original ones. And yeah, I'd, I'd do a webinar or a seminar, sorry. And, and I put, I say to the audience, who he has heard of a buyer's agent? And like <laughs> 10 people had put their hand up and you have to explain what a buyer's agent does. Yeah. We represent the buyer exclusively, et cetera. Um, but obviously it's become a lot more commonplace these days, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, back then it was uh, more unheard of. It was harder to get traction and harder to get acceptance, but um, mm. certainly like yourselves as a, as a broker uh it's something it's an essential service these days isn't it it's a competitive advantage isn't it in a, in a somewhat competitive market now to have 
I think people must have like a badge of honor, like my buyer's agent perhaps. And, uh, that's it, yeah. and without a doubt, I mean, we talk about very hot market. We talk about very smart ways to buy. A buyer's agent is, it's not a level playing field anymore. Yeah. You buy, you see, I mean, I'm going to say in your career, you've probably seen tens on if hundreds of thousands of properties. Uh, whereas an average person will look realistically at a handful of properties to make a decision, right? So there's very little to compare it to an, yeah. a trained eye can Mo- make you know, costly mistakes. So most people spend more time planning their annual holidays than they do planning their next property purchase. Mm. You know, Obviously, if they're a home buyer, they might write down a few ideas. Hey, I want a four-bedroom house with a pool. Um, yeah. you know, but Or even an investor. They don't really think about their end goal. Um, so you've really got to be strategic and have, you know, someone on your side or in your corner uh, mm-hmm. helping you with that, that progression. Otherwise, people just get stuck. Absolutely. So I guess when you're, when you look back in your career and you kind of see the market has changed, I mean, it's probably gone from the real estate section, the newspapers now to being completely online, the, the raft of information that's now available at someone's fingertips, even to, I guess, the digitization of the whole loan and the buying process, for example. Where do you see the buyer's agent proposition going in the future, do you think, when you look at your industry? Great question. I think um, the buyer's agent industry is constantly evolving. Originally it was um, more just sort of, hey, I'm a support person there just to help you on your journey. It's become, uh, you hear the word property strategist used a lot. Nice. Um, and I think that's something we absolutely do as an essential step up front. We do a, we call it a strategy chat with our client and then come up with a brief. Um, but I think, you know, buyers agents just can't rest on their laurels. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the industry has got to become more data driven. Yeah. And I think there's two sides to any kind of property purchase. There's the data and there's the analysis, the macro and the micro of the, indi- of, of the data. And then there's the street smart. You know, I think a lot of people uh, fall down in one of those two areas or both those areas. You know, they might be looking online at CoreLogic Data or looking on realestate.com and checking out the latest sales. And then they go to try and transact a property and they just don't know how to talk to an agent. They don't know how to find off markets. They don't know how to appraise the value. They don't know how agents are underquoting, um, mm-hmm. don't know how to make the right move at auction. So all of those soft skills, what I call the street smarts, is absolutely essential if you're going to try and do it on your own. Yeah, and I guess it's something you've honed in yourself and your team have honed over years of experience, not not practising in real exactly. life is what, what traditionally someone would be doing if it's their first or yeah. maybe their subsequent purchase as well, isn't it? So I think the buyer's age industry is definitely evolving. I think people are much more discerning about the credentials of who they're working with and, and what they expect from their buyer's agent. And I think... You know, certainly you can't be all things to all people. Yeah. Um, and I think you've just got to, you know, again, work with the person you click with and as you know, it's going to got the credentials and deliver the right result. Mm. Mm. And when you talked about the, the property strategy, it's something that definitely comes up because we always talk about a plan on a page. We talk about the strategy and most people kind of, like you said, just want to glance over that and go, I want to buy the property. And that's the most exciting <laughs> part about it, which yep. is fair enough. I get it. Mm. Um, as someone, as someone that has helped probably numerous investors buy and build their own portfolio and something that we, we love to do as well. One of the common frustrations or bottlenecks that happens for an investor when they, when they get past that first, maybe second one is they run out of two things. They're going to run out of borrowing capacity or they're going to run out of equity. Yep. So running out of equity, the properties are maxed out, for example, how there's no, there's no more cash or there's no more equity to run and they may have the means, but now there's no equity to go again or they run out of borrowing capacity, which means their bank saying, hang on, we're not going to lend you any more money. And they're, they're both frustrated in their own right. Yeah. So from your experience, when you've had kind of one off or if not sometimes both clients coming to you going, Rich, how do we unlock this problem? 
Yeah, Aaron, they're very common roadblocks. So running out of borrowing capacity or running out of equity, very, very common. So yeah. firstly, uh, running out of um, equity. Um, so obviously you need to, when you first buy the asset, buy the property, you've got to choose the right property. You do make your money when you buy well. Yeah. And buying a property that you can add value and, and manufacture equity through either redevelopment or renovation is a, is a great strategy. Yeah, You know, in my own properties, I've added granny flats. I've added an extra bedroom. I've added another story. Um, I've built from scratch, you know, built duplexes. So mm. those are things that create and manufacture equity that you can then revalue and then recycle and use again. Yeah, okay. So that's one way to go is just a simple renovation strategy to extract extra equity. Or in a rising market, just go back and get a refinance and a revaluation to yeah. draw out the extra equity, either from that or your own home. On the other question around uh, borrowing capacity, this is a classic one. A lot of people will hit the wall simply because they're on 100 grand and they can't borrow anymore mm. and that's it. So can they increase their rents? You know, So even just go and talk to your property manager and say, look, can we put the rent up $50 a week? Because that will make us a small difference. Yeah. Um, the other more bigger one that I, I would do is, you know, is think about your own skill set and say, look, am I in a job? that's delivering the best kind of serviceability that I need to to buy multiple properties. So it might be going and doing a TAFE course or university course or some other kind of career change to actually increase your borrowing capacity or do some side sort of business side hustle and get yeah. a secondary source of income, whatever it takes legitimately to get an extra income because the banks obviously, as you know, yeah. look very favourably upon cash flow and it's yes. all about serviceability and the ability to repay a loan. So any way you can do to create that additional mm. income would greatly enhance your ability to service more property loans. I love it. I mean, that's almost a completely different view to like a, what a buyer's agent. So it's all about the property. Mm. You're actually saying that the greatest asset is themselves. Absolutely. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Look, yeah. one of the things I was always taught, and I'm a big believer in personal development. Yeah. I did, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on courses when in my earlier years yeah. because I knew it would pay dividends, you know. Sure, I did an economics degree, but I've done a stack of other courses. I've done mm. negotiation courses. I've done property courses. I've done development courses. Uh, I've done presentation skills. I've yeah. done a whole range of things that have all added value to who, you know, my skill set and who I am as a person and build my character. Mm. And I think, you know, that's your biggest asset. And a lot of people also, you know, put in my, not a financial planner, but get your income protected, get some income protection well, insurance. Sure. You know, if you're got a kid, if you're married with kids. Well, if we're talking about yourself being the greatest asset, you've got to protect that greatest asset. And as then well. you, like, the worst thing would be you buy, you buy five properties, you get sick, and then suddenly you've got to sell three down to pay for your medical bills. Like, mm. where's the point of that? Absolutely. You mentioned and you kind of just rattled off really quickly about oh, here's, here's kind of the stuff that I've done. You probably say it very frequently, right? Uh, most people go, what? You, you did yeah. subdivisions, you've done duplexes, granny flats, you've built. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's some sizable produce you've probably done there. And again, you probably take it for granted that Sure. Because this is your daily. Can you take us through some of those produce that yeah, you had under your belt sure. and maybe some? Well, learnings? one of the first ones I did, um, like way back in the day when I first, our very first property we bought. Well, I mentioned that you said there was a subdivision. A subdivision. Yeah. So we bought a block in Pennant Hills. We first got married and lived in it. It was over a thousand square meters. Wow. And, um, Hornsby Council, notoriously difficult to work with, but our DA took 526 days, the <laughs> longest ever through Hornsby Council. Right? We <laughs> celebrated when we got it through. We almost gave up at one point, yeah. but we wanted to do a dual occupancy. Um, and at yeah. the time, the council had said, no more dual locks, you're not allowed to have them. And we said, no. And we got a, a, fine, a, sorry, um, a special town planner to help us with our DA. Yeah. And we were able to find- uh, I mean, this is quite- 
brave. I mean, you said you guys were married fairly young, yeah, so this yeah. is quite an adventurous project. Absolutely, yeah. but I just also got lots of the, I just knew I got the right experts. So yeah, I got okay. a town planner. I got people with the right skills. I had to get an arborist because we had trees on the block and we had right. to design the house a certain angle. But, look, we persisted. And I think that's one of the other things, if I can sort of give a point to the listeners, you have to be persistent as an investor. You're right. going to hit roadblocks. Don't give up. If the bank says no, find someone that will say yes. You know, every Beautiful. every no gets me closer to a yes. So a lot of investing is around mindset. So back to the story, we we did the subdivision, took a long time, but that enabled us to basically almost like have a free block of land to build on. So we moved into the back block. It was considered our PPR, principal place of residence, yeah. um, capital gains tax-free, lived in that for a couple of years, started having a family there, and then we moved uh, over to the northern beaches after that. So that was a progression. And I think a lot of people on the property journey, especially when they're buying their first home, they want to get to the, the top of the tree quickly. Hey, mm. I, don't, I don't want to be in a unit. I want to get in a four-bedroom house. Well, sorry, you can't afford that. Just start with something humble and then work your way through the through the process. Yeah. If you have to rely on the bank of mum and dad, we'll see if they're willing. But, you know, yeah. we did it all on our own when we started. We didn't have any help. Well, now the know? bank of mum and dad is Australia's <laughs> fifth biggest bank, it is. right? It says a lot for, I guess, this country. And Do you like, know the average loan size is apparently about $120,000? I would not be surprised. It's unbelievable. I'm, I mean, I'm... I'm in a situation where I get to see yeah. what families are giving yeah. to their kids. Yeah. And, I mean, you take COVID as an example where parents aren't travelling and their home value has gone up and they want to see their kids get into the market. It's, so you it's kind the of only way, I think, sometimes for younger people if they want to buy in Sydney. So, yeah. So, yeah, so our journey was um, we, we did the subdivision and then we started buying investment properties. Right. And um, so, yeah, we got to a stage fairly early on, probably after about six or seven years, we had about 14 properties okay. and we thought, happy days, we're, we're going to be away, we're going to retire at 41. <laughs> Uh, and then I made a big mistake. I invested 80% of my net worth with a developer and uh, promptly lost it two years later. So wow. <laughs> not a lot of people know that part of my story, but yeah, uh, it, it is. It's look, and I wear it. Um, and I made a major mistake. I, I picked the wrong person to invest with. Right. And, uh, and I had to pick myself up, had to sell down the whole portfolio. We kept two properties and we were able to rebuild ourselves from there. Mm. So I think you're going to hit whoever's listening. You're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to, you know, Family might get sick, you know, mm. kids might get sick, you might lose your job, you might stuff's gonna come at you, but it's how you get through it and it builds character. You know, what doesn't yeah. kill you makes you stronger. And I think a lot of people don't have resilience these days. They think everything should be life has to be this way. Yeah. And you have to have resilience, you have to have character, you have to persist. There were some days I was really, really down and I was really depressed. Yeah. But I just knew, you know what? There's a better life for me and my family. We're gonna get through. And we've been able to rebuild. So well I've done all those things on the way through. We bought just, and again, you can't learn to run a marathon unless you train. So you can't learn to sprint until you do your training. So you've got to get your training wheels on a couple of smaller properties. Yeah. I get in clients come to me and say, Hey, Rich, I want to buy commercial. <laughs> and I say, Well, look, let's get four resi properties under your belt Spot on. before you start thinking about higher risk assets. Like commercial's great. I love, com- I've got a commercial property, love yeah. it. But you just see what's happened with COVID. Major vacancy problems. If you had a strip shop retail, yeah, you'd be out on your, you know, on your bum. Like, yeah. You know, there'd be a lot of problems. So, um, I always look for property assets that I can add value to, that I can have long-term good capital growth and good cash flow. I try to get the combination of everything, or even development upside. Yeah, nice. You know, so. You know, I've looked at, I've uh, done a granny flat or done a couple of those. Love granny flats. They've done a great, great thing. We've done hundreds, if not thousands of them for our clients, especially yeah, wow. in Sydney and we've done doing them in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, at Sydney back in 2000 and what was it, 2008, 2009, we were getting 10% yields on those things. Incredible. <laughs> and I remember people saying, oh, why are you, why are you buying out yeah. of Penrith way? That's just, oh, that's a rotten area. Why are you it's all yeah. dagging? I said, hey, 
we can buy for 300, we can put a granny flat on for 90 grand. All those people that spent 300 grand, those properties are worth 700 to 800 thousand dollars today. Yeah. They've almost, you know, two and a half times the value. Mm. Plus they've had a, a significant cash flow. You know, we're doing the same thing in certain Brisbane suburbs now. Um, so it's about looking for opportunities where you can get great cash flow and great, you know, great returns long term that's going to really support your property portfolio. Yeah. I mean, you talk about your own journey and people might say, oh, well, it's great for you, Rich, because you land on your feet, for example. But yeah, one thing you mentioned, mentioned there is it's how you bounce back. Mm. So investors will get it and quite often at a smaller level, it's they've had an issue with the tenant, for example, or the valuation is stacked up or uh, there's a really small minor part of their data or the banks decide to start to raise rates a little bit now and it's like it's enough to send the jitters through and it's like, hey, guys, it's, it's the long game here. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, look, you've got to um, anticipate the worst um, but expect the best. So yeah, I think with interest rate rises, have a buffer. You know, set up that offset account, put some money in a cash account if you need it in cash. I'd always have it in offset because yeah. I want to introduce interest. Make sure you've got landlord insurance. So just it's all about risk mitigation, you know, yeah. getting your, your property manager to vet the tenants really well. Mm. Um, you know, and when things go wrong, they often go wrong in twos and threes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like we just had a, a property we've got in Melbourne and we just had a major leakage in the balcony and oh. it happened at the worst possible time during the lockdown, couldn't get the tradies in and then the tenants moved out and we just had this – four-month vacancy, which, you know, is such a pain. Yeah. Um, but we've got it all fixed now and the tenants are moving in. But you're going to have stuff. So you have to be prepared to, to ride those problems mm. and look for solutions. There will be a solution and, and look for it and implement it as quick as you can. Yeah, excellent. I mean, what, I guess going through your journey and uh, and one of the, I guess, one of the big milestones you've had is being President Reba. Mm. Yeah. So um, as part of that, you've probably seen what I call the new breed of buyers agents come through. So these are people that have built up property portfolios, um, lived and breathed it, they've set themselves up and now they're going, hey, look, if I can do it for me, I can do it for someone else. And I've seen them, they do a great job. There's some really good, wonderful new buyers agents out there. And then you've kind of, you probably have dealt with maybe they're not so above board buyers agents as well. Um, Can you kind of take us through? So if someone that's looking to engage a buyers agent, how do you kind of measure them up and what's maybe the checklist that someone knew to? Great question. So, yes, I was uh, president of the Real Estate Buyers Agent Association of Australia for four years, yep. uh, almost four and a half years actually, and I was also the chairman of the buyers agent chapter for the Real Estate Institute. Wow. So the things to look for in a buyers agent, number one, are they trustworthy? Just look in their eyes yeah, and, okay. and talk to them on the phone. And like us Aussies, we have a really strong BS meter, right? <laughs> we can tell them when someone's lying. So just number one, make sure they're trustworthy. Make yeah. sure they operate with integrity. Make sure they've got experience. And this is the hard thing for new buyers agents. And we we struggle with this in Reba. So we ended up creating a learner member category uh, right. for, for, for members. And Reba's a really great community. So we, um, yes, we're competitors, but we're colleagues and we're friends. You know, I've got yeah. some great friends who are buyers agents. So we exchange ideas. Oh, and the industry is far too small. And right? Absolutely. Yeah. We're here to help each other, you know. So, yeah. and, it, and I encourage anyone who's, who's listening to this who's not a member of Reba, who's a buyers agent, to look up and join because mm. it is a great organization. We share Intel. It's a really great supportive environment. We have a conference, which we put on every year, get great speakers. Um, but going back to your question, uh, what to look for in a buyer. So experience, yeah. um, integrity and trust. Um, look at their network, the depth of their network. So the ability to find off-market properties as well as on-market is critical. And also the the kind of relationship that buyers agent have in their local area. You want someone that's got great local knowledge um, right. and you want someone that's got, you know, runs on the board and great reviews. 
So I'll give you one example of, of the relationship story. Um, just two weeks ago, I exchanged a property uh, for a client in the forest area. So the client um, had heard about me, was referred to me through a friend, and they'd been looking for six months and always completely outpriced, couldn't yeah. find anything. They had a budget of around 2.6 for a four-bedroom, two-bath, two-car family home. Yeah, Kept missing out. It came to me and they said, oh, Rich, look, we just can't find anything. I said, look, I've actually got something off market that may suit you. So agents will ring me and say, look, Rich, Owners willing to sell off market. It's quite rare, but they're willing yeah. to sell off market. Client signed up on Wednesday, took the client through the property on Thursday. We exchanged on Friday. Wow. Now, I was competing with another buyer's agent apparently. So the agent had taken me through because he, he knows me really well. And I brought my pest and building guy to yeah. the inspection with me on the Friday. And I said, if we get a verbal all clear, let's exchange on the, on the Friday. So we ended up getting it. Got it done Friday afternoon, five o'clock. Incredible. Well done. So it was just that rapport and trust I had with that, that agent that allowed me to do it. I'd done a similar transaction with him in, in March, actually. Yeah. For another family that wanted a dual living home because they wanted their elderly mother to live with them. Nice. So sometimes we get some really interesting requests uh, for types of home buyers. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And, uh, remuneration is another big one as well. It comes up. Look, it's, let's just talk openly about it, right? Sure. So how some, how some buyers agents are paid. So, um, Engagement fee, I'll pay a buyer's agent, for example, yourself. You go out there and source and locate and negotiate and, and do the work and then get paid for it. And then sometimes some buyer's agents are paid based maybe by a developer. Not right, not wrong, for example. Um, is there a level that has to be disclosed, for example? And can a client ask, okay, how does, how does remuneration and commissions work? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything should be fully disclosed, Aaron. So number one is that I'm an exclusive buyer's agent, totally independent. I don't get fees from developers. Yeah, um, okay. So a buyer's agent that sells off the plan, brand new kind of stock is not really a buyer's agent in my view because they're typically getting 30 or 40 grand as a, as a commission payment from a developer. So essentially right. they're a property marketing company. Yeah. So essentially I can't, in my view, I can't call them buyer's agents. Yeah, okay. A true buyer's agent is someone that works exclusively fee-for-service, whether it's a fixed fee or flat fee, doesn't matter, but mm. exclusively paid by the purchaser. Yeah, so okay. it's really it's very right for the consumer to ask, how are you being remunerated in this transaction? Yeah. I would get up when I speak as keynote in all the property expos because there would be thousands or hundreds of stalls <laughs> of spruikers and I'd do my anti-spruiker rant and I'd get up and I would say to the audience, please go and ask, these people who are selling these properties, how much are you getting paid to flog this property to me? Mm-hmm. I didn't say flog, but I'd say sell, right? Because it really angered me that people will take others for a ride and sell, yeah. them, a, sell them crappy stock that's going to go nowhere for 10 years, mm-hmm. right? So in my own business, we charge a flat fee yeah. um, and we do that for residential property because we don't want any conflict of interest or perception of bias. Yeah. We have a scale of fees. It's under a million bucks. It's roughly 2%. Yeah. Um, from about a million to two million, it's roughly 1.5% thereafter. Yeah, okay. So and, and it's a three to five grand engagement fee and the balance of the fee paid on unconditional exchange. So yeah, okay. very straightforward. And the other thing I'd mention is if a consumer is engaging a buyer's agent, ask if they get any kickbacks from anyone else. So under Section 47 of the Property Stock and Business Agents Act, you have to disclose if you are receiving any benefit, whether monetary or otherwise, from any other supplier. Wonderful. And they should be putting that in their agency agreement. So in our agreement, we have a list of people we would refer you to and and virtually for all of them except for one, we, we disclose it, we get nil referral fees. Beautiful. So it's very important that they ask that question. Excellent. Mm. Just keep me above board. And I think Absolutely. our industry's gone through. I'd say that probably financial planning was probably the most heavily regulated. Yeah. Brokers kind of followed suit. Mm. And I feel like buyer's agency is probably that next industry where it's kind of 
low like, like us, low barriers to entry. You can do a certificate. You can become a buyer's agent. You don't really need that many qualifications. Realistically, you need a computer. And away you go. Well, one thing I just mentioned is I think ASIC in the next five years will probably bring in some kind of or, or promote some sort of regulation around investment property. Beautiful. So I think to get ahead of the curve, I've become a QPIA, a qualified yeah, property yeah. investment agent, um, advisor. Yeah. And I think anyone that wants to be a buyer's agent and uh, act as their clients on investment property should do that qualification. Mm. And that way you'll get ahead of the curve if they do bring in a regulation like they've done with financial planning. Because, yeah, as you say, um, financial planning is way heavily overregulated, whereas Property is still heavily regulated, but not to the same degree. Absolutely. I just want to go back to you, your personal journey, because yeah. only because you're really open, I really appreciate sure. it as well. At one point, you said you had, guys, had 14 properties, mm. and I mean that in your time, that's that's extraordinary, right? The the discussion about quality versus quantity comes up a fair bit. So sometimes, and you may have this, where some clients have a number of properties in their mind. Yeah, um, call it 10 properties in 10 years, or whatever the catch cry is, and I sometimes go. Why that number, particular where that number come from, is less more, and is it is it a quality over quantity discussion? I, I guess it's if you can buy, keep going and buying. So it's not about a vanity number, but just in your experience as well. If you had partly, would you would you keep buying and scaling, or do you then go into commercial? And well, a couple of questions there. Okay, so firstly, quality versus quantity. For me, it's not about quantity; it's about quality. Yeah. For me, it's an end goal. So if, uh, I won't disclose what my end goal is, but yeah. let's say, for example, my end goal is two hundred thousand dollars of passive income. Sure, I reverse engineer that to work out what do I need to own in unencumbered property to get a, a passive income of rental from those properties. Beautiful. So I just work it on, let's say, a, a net of four percent. Right, I'm going to need roughly the numbers will work to about two and a half million dollars of yeah. net unencumbered property. So I, in my webinars, I've got various slides to actually get to that number, but that's what I look for. So whether that's two properties or five properties, to me, it doesn't really matter as long as they are held in good locations that have got good upside. Three things I look for is PIE, population growth, uh, infrastructure and employment, diverse employment opportunities. So those three in combination have always worked well for me. Um, Buying in the regions is fine, but I'm not a big fan of the micro regions. I like the the, the larger regions. So say like Newcastle. Exactly. Newcastle, Wollongong, or an Orange or a Dubbo, but but the smaller places like Longreach or Mount Isa, uh, which are way too dependent on one or two industries, I'd stay way clear. They get fantastic yields. Mm. Um, I had lots of spruikers ring me and say, hey, Rich, put your clients into – Fort Headland and Caratha, we can get you 11% uh, yields. <laughs> you know, you can buy this property for one and a half million, you'll get almost, you know, 15%, you know. And I remember three years after those phone calls, mm-hmm. those properties, you know, declined in value by two thirds. Yeah. Right? So your question around quality versus quantity, it is about quality, um, but it's not about the number, it's, it's about the end goal. Like mm-hmm. if you want to have a net worth of X million dollars, you've got to work out and reverse engineer that on on how you get to that point. Mm. And I think um, there'll come a point hopefully in your investing career when you get to what I call the economics of enough. And what I mean by that is that we all try to strive for more, but how much more makes you happy? You know, can you get to a point of contribution? Can you get to a point of giving? Um, And I challenge anyone out there that's got extra funds is who – Give some money to charity. My wife works in not-for-profit uh, for Baptist World Aid, and the amount of generosity that I see that those those donors have is amazing. You know, well, so I think it even starts with yeah. to me. It even starts with being a good landlord. Absolutely. And I'm like, you, mm. charity starts at home. And mm. I said all that. I, two parts as an investor. One is be a good landlord. So if your tenants need something, replace it. Don't jack up the rents without 
without justification, for example, mm-hmm. and, and gouge them. But also if you've been successful in your own journey, be like mm-hmm. what you're doing is pay it forward to other new investors to have a successful investing journey as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, one of our tenants, I believe at the moment has some medical problem and we could put the rent up, but I've just said, look, just nice. keep it, keep it at the same level. We don't want to, you know, create any problems for them. So How good's that? And mm-hmm. tenants will remember that. They'll, yeah. they'll really appreciate mm-hmm. it. goes a distance, doesn't it? Man, I really appreciate your time. I feel like obviously your um, your your background and obviously you've you've done work in media, so this just rolls off the tongue <laughs> for you. So, uh, mate, we could literally just have a chat Talk for hours. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, there's so much I want to contribute. Like, there's so many more tips I want to give you. So maybe get me back for another session some other I time. I absolutely and, think we will. Know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, I think just that just that knowledge that you've got mm-hmm. there is just that that's gold. Um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that, and really appreciate your your time and your energy to be mm-hmm. to be with us and and share your insights, mate. So. Thank you very much, Rich. It's, uh, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on, on with us as well. And um, for those that don't know Rich and uh, and his team at Property Buyer, we'll share the details uh, with, with Rich and his team in the comments below. As I mentioned before, my name is Aaron Christie David. I run Atelier Wealth. Uh, if you found this episode helpful, please leave us a comment, give us a review. And until next time, take care.